Hey, good morning, Friendship Family. It's good to see you today. So glad you've decided to join us for worship. We are in week number 40 of the year of discipleship, and we are going through this F260 Bible reading plan, as Jake mentioned. Uh, I want to invite you to join with us. Just jump right in. Week number 40 Bible reading plans over at Next Steps, also online, uh, or check out our Instagram or Facebook feed. Every single week we post those on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, so invite you to do that. We're in the series called Spirit and Truth. So we've been working our way through the story of God, through the scriptures, uh, week by week, we kind of come, came out of, uh, we're in the New Testament, came out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We started into the book of Acts, and really a lot of stuff happens in Acts and uh, beyond Acts as you move into the epistles and the New Testament. Uh, what we really are seeing is the, the foundation and expansion of the church, the early church as the gospel goes throughout the world. And so in the beginning of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit has come and he's come to empower and indwell believers to live for Christ and to take the gospel, again, to the ends of the earth. And so one of the things you see in the book of Acts that really sets it apart uh, is that the gospel is now available to all. It's no longer just focused on this message of grace to God's people, the Jewish people, the people of God, but now it's available to Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. It's, it's everyone. And so uh, what we see from the book of Acts on is, is that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation can now receive God's grace and forgiveness and become part of his family. You saw it in a sense in the Old Testament now in full Every tribe, tongue, nation can receive the grace of God. And this is what we call the good news of the gospel, that we can, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we can be a part of, of God's family, that we can have our sin forgiven. And so this is the, the good news, the message of the Bible. This is the message of the church. This is the message that you and I get to spread and to share with, with everyone, that God is good and he's gracious to us. And uh, you know what? L let me ask you a question. Um, did your football team win this weekend? Um, man, it's, so it's fall. It kind of feels more like fall, doesn't it? Yes, there you go. Go Bucks. Um, it does feel more like fall, doesn't it? Everyone has their favorite thing about fall. Um, for some, it's the, uh, the cooler weather, you know, the hoodies and the, the cooler, you know, you wear hoodies in 70 degree weather here, you know. Um, some of you like your pumpkin spice lattes or motor oil or whatever. It comes, everything comes in pumpkin spice, you know. Um, when I think about Fall, I think about football. Fall is football season. Really, every, every season, is, it's either football season or like pre-football season. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so like, I, and this, this is a really cool season for me currently because I'm a fan of pro and college. Uh, and I actually have like both of my teams are actually pretty good. They're actually winning, which is I've never really experienced this before. So it's a cool time for me to be alive. But here's what I want to like, here's what I want to confess is that uh, I'm not a good loser. Uh, I don't like when my teams lose. Um, there was a time um, when, you know, if my team lost, it wrecked me for days. That time was yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my teams haven't lost for a couple weeks. Uh, hopefully my wife would say after 23 years of marriage that I've grown and, you know, wins and losses don't dominate my, my heart anymore. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I just like, I, I would prefer to win. I like to succeed. I don't like failing. Um, you know, and I think that's, I think we would all like, it speaks to us. We all want to live in victory because defeat doesn't feel very good, does it? It doesn't feel great. And though, you know, life is never going to be all about just like piling on wins after wins, like we're never going to experience failure or loss. We will. We understand that. But 
Here's the reality of, of the Christian life. The Christian life is to be one of victory. It's to be a life of victory. Yes, we will struggle with sin. We will endure suffering and pain and loss, and we must learn how to lament and to grieve in a, in a holy kind of good way. Um, like last week, we talked about being steadfast, like through trials, counted all joy, knowing that God's going to produce something through trials. And so we're always going to deal with those kind of things. And, and yet, if you have trusted in Christ, you stand in a place of victory. You stand in a place of victory. It's not something that you've achieved as if you could earn it or achieve it, but it's always something that is received. Victory is, is not achieved, it's received. It's something that we're given because of Christ, because what he has done through his death and his burial and his resurrection, he has provided for us victory. And really we see this, this kind of throughout the Bible, Old Testament, here's one place where you kind of see it sprinkled in, Proverbs 21, 31, it says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And you see that throughout the Old Testament, victory belongs to the Lord. But as you move into the New Testament, we see that like it's not just, it doesn't just belong to the Lord, like he has given us victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I read part of this verse uh, last week. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have received victory. We stand in a place of victory as followers of Jesus. But Here's, here's the reality is that we may know that is true. We may know biblically, theologically that we stand in a place of victory, that we have received it because of what Jesus has done. But sometimes that, it, it's hard to translate that into our everyday lives. Like we don't always feel like we're winning at life, right? We don't always feel like we're living in a place of victory. And so the question is, how do we walk in the victory in which he has provided for us? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's sermon is called Walking in Victory. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And, and what I want to do for a few minutes is, is I want to set the context of the book of Galatians uh, in the New Testament. And here, here's one of the, the struggles of this, this series this year as we're working our way through the story of God from the Bible. Almost on a weekly basis, we're kind of jumping from book of the Bible to the book of the Bible. And one of the things that... that you've probably noticed is that every single week I'm trying to set the context from where we're pulling scripture from. And that's important for you to know because we've always got to understand the context um, of, of what we're reading from the Bible because it's easy to pull uh, something out of, you know, a verse or uh, out of a certain place. We always got to know the, who's writing it, who's the author, who's the audience, what's going on at this point in time. Uh, I had someone who sent me a uh, post this week. I've seen this as a meme before, but it was a picture of a shirt and it read, uh, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And I was like, oh, that's good. Bible nerd me, I love, I love that. But it's so true. We can just pull, we can just pull things out of the Bible and go, oh, that is for me. And yet it's, we, we got to be careful when we do that. We've always got to look at the context. Uh, it's like a conversation. You don't just pull lines out of a conversation. Like you have to understand what's being said. And, and so if there's one thing I hope you've learned this, this year, it's the context is so important. With that being said, uh, I've got to spend a few minutes giving us unpacking the context of Galatians. And, and what I want to make sure you, you don't do this morning is kind of tune out and go, well, this is introductory stuff, that this is actually pretty important to the message itself. So what we see in the, in the book of Acts, there's a man named Saul 
who we see this incredible transformation in his life. He is this religious Jewish man who uh, is persecuting the church. He's coming after followers of Jesus. And, and what happens in the life of Saul is, is Jesus intersects his life and, and appears to him on the road to Damascus, blinds him. And, and when he gives him his sight back, man, he sees the Lord for all that he is. And he gives his life to Jesus. And he becomes, he goes from being a persecutor of the church to to God's apostle, to the Gentiles. In other words, all the non-Jewish population, Paul, his name goes from Saul to Paul, uh, which represents his life change, but he becomes this apostle, the sent one to everyone outside of the nation of Israel. He's gonna take the gospel and expand the gospel to all of the world. And so this incredible transformation in Paul, and he writes this letter, Galatians, he writes this letter to members of churches in the southern region of this Roman province called Galatia. So that's why it's called the, uh, the book of Galatians. And Paul is writing for at least a couple different reasons. All right, we could spend a lot of time here, but I just wanna give you an overview uh, of what Galatians is all about. Reason number one, that really the primary reason Paul is writing this is he's writing to defend the gospel. He's writing to defend the gospel. Now, the gospel is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, that because of what he has done for us, we can receive grace and forgiveness. And there's this term here that he uses, justification by faith. So let me take a moment to unpack that because that's a, a big theological term, but it's important for us to understand. Justification is a, a theological word, but it's actually a, a legal word, which means declared righteous, declared righteous. All right, so here, here's the truth about us, that we are sinners. Before God, we are guilty. We're declared guilty of sin. And because of our guilt before a holy God, we deserve separation. We deserve punishment because of our sin. But justification is the fact that Jesus died, took our sin upon him, that he was buried and rose miraculously from the dead, leaving our sin in the grave, and he rose in victory over our sin and over death and hell and the grave. And because of what he has done, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified, which means we are declared righteous. Not because of any good that we've done, not because we've cleaned ourselves up or we've done enough religious things or come to church enough times. No, we are declared righteous righteous when we put our faith in Jesus. But that second part is important, justification by faith. And what he comes, comes against in the book of Galatians is justification by works of the law. In other words, you are justified by what you do. And, and Paul saw this in the church where they were, he, he actually comes across it really strongly and says, hey, this is another gospel that you're preaching, that you can have forgiveness and grace from God based on what Jesus has done plus something that you add to it. So he's saying to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, you need to be like a Jewish person. You need to be circumcised if you're actually gonna be a part of God's family. And Paul comes in hot and heavy saying, no, 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 that's another gospel. The gospel is this, you are justified by faith alone in Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. You don't add anything to it. And so Paul comes in here and he wants them to understand the gospel. You are declared righteous. You receive this. You can become, um, you can have 
a right relationship with God. You can be placed into his family. You can be transformed by his grace, but it comes through faith and not by any works. And this is what he comes against in this book. Coming right alongside that, the second reason he writes this is because he wants believers to live for God. He wants their conduct, their conduct, their actions, their life to match what they say they believe. In fact, he comes, if you read through this, Galatians chapter 2, what it says is that Peter, who was an apostle, one of those you know, pillars of the early church. We saw a few weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, he preaches the first sermon when the church is actually formed. Peter, he's, a, he's, he's the rock. And, and it says in Galatians 2 that Paul comes and he, he said, I opposed him to his face. I got in his face because what, Paul, or what Peter was doing was he was basically making Gentiles feel like they had to add some things to their faith. And Paul comes along and says, mm mm no, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. What you are doing to these, these, uh, these Gentiles is you're making them feel like they have to do something to earn God's acceptance and to earn God's favor. He says, that's not the gospel. And so he got in Peter's face about this. And what we see throughout the New Testament is that Peter seemed to repent and, and, and change uh, based on that. But but, but here is the purpose of, of, of Paul writing this. I'm defending the gospel. I want you to live in such a way that you're not just believing something, that your conduct, your life matches it so that you're walking in victory. This is his goal for this book. In fact, Galatians 2, 16, I just want to read this. When he talks about justification by faith, he says this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Are you catching it? He says it's not by anything you do. What justifies you is what Jesus has done. He declares you righteous. You simply believe it by faith and receive it. And then as you, as you make your way through the book of, of Galatians, we come to Galatians 5. And before we get to our passage this morning, Paul says this, Galatians 5 verse 1. Again, he, he wants them to walk in victory, to live for God. And he says this, Galatians 5 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. God has set you free, but it's not so that you become enslaved to the, the works of the law. It's so that you'd be free. He says, if you drop down to verse number uh, seven, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You started out well, but, but someone has, has gotten you off track. Verse 13, Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, don't, you've been set free, but don't use your freedom to serve yourself. He says, but through love, serve one another. This is why you've been set free, so that you can love and serve others. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Paul is trying to do is say, here's what the gospel is. Now live in, in light of that. You've been set free because of the gospel. Now walk in freedom, walk in victory. Use your freedom to serve others. 
All right, so this is the context we have as we come into Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 26. And again, the question that we're kind of asking this morning is how do we walk in victory? So Galatians 5, starting in verse number 16, here's what Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. And so I want to ask you all to bow your heads with me. Let's just pray and invite again the Lord to speak to us today. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the heart of Paul. Thank you for raising him up to get the gospel to uh, all of the world, to us even. God, that those of us that are outside of the nation of Israel could still receive the, the blessings of being a part of your family and receiving your grace and your forgiveness, your justification by faith. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look into this passage this morning, as we seek to see your heart for us and Lord, as we seek to answer the question, how do we walk in victory? God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you give us clarity, God, in ways that we are living according to our flesh, in ways that are pleasing only to ourselves. God, would you reveal those things to us? Would you convict us? Uh, God, would you give us hope because of the gospel and what you have done for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the question, how do we walk in victory? And before we jump into the two points this morning, surprise, uh, not every week is it three points, all right? Shocker. Two points this morning. Before we jump into that, let me first say this, is that this, this book of Galatians, kind of like we've talked about, is written to those who belong to Christ. These are followers of Jesus. These are Christians. These are, these are those who have put their faith in him. And as a result, they've been justified, justified, declared righteous. All right. So maybe you're here in this room or online listening and you're, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You would not call yourself a follower of Christ. Let me say, first of all, welcome. I think this is the greatest place you could be, that you can listen in and consider who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Uh, and I'm so glad that you would be in this place. But this, this message is how to walk in victory. It's, it begins with being in Christ. And so if you haven't put your faith in Christ, I'd invite you to consider that today and listen through that lens as we talk this morning. But here's the first way that we walk in victory as Paul addresses this in Galatians 5. The first thing is this, be aware of the war within. 
be aware of the war within. And you may have noticed it as we walk through the passage, really from the very start, from verse 16 and 17 on, that we see that these, there's these two uh, opposing forces, these two opposing desires within us. It's the spirit and the flesh, spirit and the flesh. So, so what's, what's going on here? The, the spirit is speaking to the Holy Spirit that is in you. At the moment of salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus, what, what happens is he, he justifies you. He declares you righteous. He cleanses you of your sin. He places you within the family of God. You become a son or daughter of God. But he also places within you the Holy Spirit of God. So you become a temple of the Holy Spirit who, is, who comes to live in you and to guide you and direct you and help you to live for the Lord. So the Spirit of God in you, this is one of the parties doing battle within us. And then there's the flesh. And, and that, is, that is not just our physical body. Although, you know, we can't separate uh, body, soul, spirit from our person. But it's, when the Bible speaks about the flesh, it's, it's speaking more in terms of the, the mind and the will and the emotions. It, it kind of is really speaking to our, our fallen nature, our desire to satisfy our flesh, our, our, our earthly human desires. And so there's this battle going on, this Holy Spirit that's within or or I don't want to say stuck within, okay, he's chosen to be within us, but he's stuck in this human physical shell, this human body, and, and there's a, a battle being waged within us between the Spirit of God and our, our flesh. In fact, if you look at verse number 17, it's, it says it this way, it uses the, the word against. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So they're in opposition to one another. Okay. They don't, they don't play nice together. All right. They both want to win. And so there's this battle waging within. In fact, Romans chapter, you could do a deep dive into Romans six, chapter six, seven, and eight. But in chapter seven, Paul puts words to this struggle that I think we all feel. If you're a follower of Jesus, this desire to do what is right and good and that honors God, and yet this pull of our, our natural flesh to do what we want to do, right? If you've lived for a minute, you know there's this, this struggle within. And Paul describes it this way in Romans 7, verses 14 to 25. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is good. It points us to Jesus. It shows us our need for Christ. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Verse 15, I think we could all give a big amen to this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do, uh, for I do not, uh, let me start over. All right, got tripped up here. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, I don't even understand my own actions. I don't even understand what's coming out of my own mouth, right? Like, I don't understand the things that I want to do. I find myself not doing. And the things I hate that I want to have nothing to do with, I find myself doing. Why is that? Verse 16, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And this is the point of the law. It's to show you, okay, I fall short. I need help. I don't have the ability. This is why I need 
Christ. And this is what the law is pointing us towards. Paul says this in verse 19. For I do not uh, do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, he's talking about his body, his physical body. I see in my members another law, and this, these two words are important, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And this causes him to cry out in verse 24, a wretched man that I am. In other words, he realizes like the depth of his sin and what he wants to do, he finds himself not doing. He does the very things that he hates that are sinful and against God. And so he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who is gonna rescue me from this struggle that I'm facing? And then he answers the question here. Verse number 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This echoes 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And what he's, he's giving word to is, is this, this war within, this struggle to do what is right, but then this, like, this difficulty that we have in actually carrying it out. In fact, Jesus himself made note of this. Matthew 26, 41, he asked his disciples, remember before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden, he asked them to come pray for an hour and they're snoozing on him and yet he comes alongside here and he says this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Flesh is weak. And Jesus said, I get it. This is where you find yourselves. You want to do what is right, but man, we're just weak in our flesh. Paul says it, he calls it this, this body of death. That when I want to do good, sin is like evil is right around the corner. And so I struggle. There is this war going on within us. And Paul says, man, I want you to be aware of this, this war within. And I remember earlier in Galatians 5, he says this, that you've been set free, brothers. You've been set free for freedom. Now, the reason that you've been set free is to love and to serve others. But when Paul kind of comes to this list here in verse number, uh, number 19, he lists out these works of the law. And, and we could spend some time going through every single one of those uh, works of the flesh. Um, but it doesn't take long to look at those and go, hmm, those aren't good, right? Those aren't pure. Those aren't holy. I don't want to live my life in that zone, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All of those things, you could look those up in a dictionary and go, mm, okay, these aren't good things. What you see with the works of our flesh, the things that we naturally produce, those things don't love and serve others. They only serve who? Yourself. They only serve self. And honestly, and that's why in verse 16, it, talk, it uses that phrase, to gratify the desires of your flesh. It's to gratify, to satisfy your desires. They serve self, but ultimately, and actually they, they don't serve you, they actually enslave you. Ultimately, they destroy you if you give yourselves over to just gratifying your flesh. And this is why in verse number 21, 
He goes on to say this phrase, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So wait a second, Paul. So what you're saying is if someone has a moment of impurity or immorality or, you know, throws a fit of anger. Have y'all ever thrown a fit of anger? All right, you blame it on your kids, but y'all, I know we have fits of anger ourselves or, you know, uh, a drunkenness or any of these things. So if we sin in that way, does that mean like, my entry to heaven is canceled. I don't inherit the kingdom of God. Is that what you're saying, Paul? So I want to just point this out. He says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What that means is those who practice these things. It has this idea of performing repeatedly or habitually. In other words, here's what he says. That if your life is characterized by works of the flesh, if your life is characterized by only living to gratify yourself. Here's what he says. You don't have the spirit of God. You're not a follower of Jesus. You, and, and I know that we're kind of, you know, in the world, we're like, don't judge, judge not. That, but like, there's a lot of evidence that where God is saying, hey, you need to be discerning. You need to use judgment and discernment. And here's what he says. You can mark it down. If you look at the life of someone who's only marked by living for themselves, they don't have the spirit of God in them. Because the spirit of God is going to do battle within you. He's not going to give up and lay down and just, hey, do whatever you want. There is a battle waging war within you. And he says, if, if this is your life, hmm, you're, not gonna, you're, you're outside of the family of God. You maybe need to examine your heart. And so here's what Paul comes to here. He says, you've got to be aware of the war within. Be aware of these opposing forces at play within you and, and your complete inability to actually defeat sin, your complete powerlessness to overcome the sin within you. But you have to recognize, you have to be aware of this battle. And here's the second thing, if we're going to walk in victory, is be controlled by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be aware of the war within. And then in light of that, be controlled by the Spirit. Now, I was just thinking about this uh, actually before uh, the service. This wasn't kind of in my plan. But I thought about this idea. This, we're answering this question, like, how do I walk in victory? Okay, so when you, think about, when you think about a game or a competition, and there's someone who is victorious, that means there's someone who is... Uh, not a winner, but a what? Loser. I just want you all to say loser. You know, that's not a very Christianly thing to say on a Sunday morning, but you know, there's always a winner and a loser, right? If someone's victorious, that means somebody has been defeated, right? And, and so when we think about our lives, when we think about the battle within us, it's the battle between the spirit and the flesh. If we're going to live victorious, that means there's got to be a winner, someone who has victory in our lives. And the answer is not your flesh, it's the spirit, to be controlled by the spirit. And so this is the idea here that, man, if, if our flesh wins, when our flesh wins, we lose. We don't walk in victory. And so here's some terms that, that Paul uses throughout Galatians 5 when it comes to this idea of being controlled by the Spirit. He says to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to, be, to keep in step with the Spirit. And I love this, this phrase, keep in step with 
with the Spirit because it has this idea of, of um, being in complete dependence upon him, being like in alignment, that we're lining up our lives with him, that we're synchronizing our movements with the Holy Spirit. We're keeping in step. So when he, when he moves, we move. When he stops, we stop. We don't get ahead of him and we don't fall behind him. We keep in step with the Spirit. We synchronize our movements with His. So something that came to my mind with this was like, it's like being dance partners. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all like dancing. Um, I am not a fan. Um, I do not dance. You would, I said it in the first service and I confused myself. Like, I wouldn't be caught dead dancing. Of course I wouldn't be caught dead dancing. You don't <laughs> dance if you're dead. Uh, but the idea, like, have anybody ever watched Dancing with the Stars? Um, don't admit it, please. I'm just kidding. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, there's something, you know, I, I've, I've watched it before in passing, um, but like there's, there's something beautiful about two like dance partners who are in sync, right? I mean, put on some more clothes for the love of God, um, but there's something cool about two dance partners being in sync with another. There's something beautiful about that. Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, uh, and this isn't a chauvinistic statement, but when it comes to dance partners, there has to be a leader and a follower. You know, typically the man is leading and the, the woman is following because if you're trying to synchronize your movements, you can't have two people leading. It doesn't work that way. Like, I'm going to do my thing, I'm going to do mine. Like, someone has to lead, someone has to follow. You keep in step with me as we move. And this is what we're talking about, keeping in step with the Spirit, that we're synchronizing our moves to the Holy Spirit, that we're not the leader. He is the one leading this dance, and we are following. We are staying in step with him. When he moves, we move. When, when he stops, we stop. We are keeping in step with the Spirit. We're staying in rhythm with his movements. And here, here's, what, here's what happens in the Christian life. So we, we get used to living before we come to Jesus, we, uh, we live in our flesh. So our flesh, our desires, man, we live to gratify. We just do whatever we want to do, whatever feels good to us. And that's the only kind of authority that we have within us. And we put our faith in Jesus. Here comes like this, this, this new roommate comes and takes up residence. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to call the shots. He wants to be in control. He wants to be the leader. And so now we have this conundrum, okay, if I could use that word. Somebody owes me a quarter for using that word. Um, so there's this, like, this battle going on where the, the flesh is used to doing what he wants to do and calling the shots and controlling things. But here's this new, like, resident coming in. The Holy Spirit says, I want to, I want to win. Here, here's the process of growing spiritually, Okay, if you will grow spiritually in your faith, it's the process, we call it sanctification, but here's what happens is that over time, hopefully what happens is the flesh begins to become a servant to the spirit and begins to bring itself under the control of the spirit. So the, the flesh isn't calling the shots. The, the flesh, when it cries out, isn't being answered. It's, it becomes submissive to the Holy Spirit. And if you look at your life and, you know, the spirit still doesn't have that kind of control or not increasing, and what it's saying is that, man, I'm still living by in the flesh. In fact, let me give you a couple 
examples or a couple questions even to ask yourself to help you know if you're you're growing spiritually. Growing spiritually really just means that we're growing in our submission to the spirit in our life. So here's, here's a couple ways to know. Uh, number one, here's a question to ask. Is there decreasing duration between when God speaks and I act? Is there a decreasing duration? So in other words, you know, when God reveals something to me, when God speaks to me and I feel a conviction, like, man, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, or I should have done this. When God speaks and I, I move or I act in obedience, what's, what's the duration of that? Okay, so when I first put my faith in Jesus, I mean, I may say, uh, I, I may say something that I ought not to have said, but it maybe didn't click with me or I wasn't convicted of it for quite some time. Now, if I say something, it's almost like immediately God is like, you idiot. No, he doesn't speak to us like that. But I, like, I'm convicted immediately. So what's the, what's the duration? Does the duration throughout my life or even from a year ago, like, has the duration decreased from when he speaks and when I obey? If so, then I'm growing in my faith. And what's going to happen is throughout the rest of my life, hopefully that keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking to where when he speaks, I act. When he speaks, I obey. So is there a decreasing uh, duration in that time. Here's a second question. Is there increasing fruit being produced in my life? Is there increasing fruit? And we'll touch on this in a second, but he, he lists out the fruit of the Spirit. And so here is the question. If you look at your life now compared to 10 years ago or five years ago or a year ago or six months ago, am I increasing in fruit? Am I becoming more loving in my life? Am I becoming more joyful is there more peace in my heart? Am I becoming more patient? Am I becoming a more patient person, a, a more kind person? Is more goodness flowing out of my life, more faithfulness, gentleness? Am I becoming more gentle in my life? Am I, is my life being characterized by increasing self-control? If so, if, that, if that's increasing in your life, praise the Lord. You are growing spiritually. But if you look at your life from a year ago and you go, mm, I'm no more patient, I'm no more loving, I'm no more kind, I'm no more gentle. In fact, I'm, maybe you would say I'm worse. That's showing, are you growing spiritually or not? Is there an increasing amount of fruit produced in your life? And what you see in this passage is this contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Works of the flesh, these are things that are produced by, by me, by human energy. But fruit, the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's produced by the Holy Spirit at work in my life. As I yield myself to him, he produces fruit. And make sure you see that word as it is, fruit, not fruits. Okay, it's not plural. Why do I say that? It's because this isn't a list of individual fruits that we can pick and choose and go, okay, I need to work on this and I need to work on this. I need to be more um, kind. I need to be more patient. I need to improve on this and this. No, no, no. It's fruit that's produced. As you yield yourself to the Spirit, what he does is he produces this fruit in you. And if we're going to summarize the fruit of the Spirit, it's this Christ-likeness. He begins to produce this in your life. You're not going through this list of things to work on. No, he is the one who produces the fruit. As you submit yourself to him, as you synchronize your steps with the Holy Spirit, 
as you are under his control. So C.I. Schofield, who is a, uh, an old theologian, an old dead guy, as you are used to me referring to, he said it this, this way about the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of them is foreign to the soil of the human heart. Everyone, every, like this, this whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit, it's all foreign to the soil of the human heart. In other words, that stuff isn't natural. It's something supernatural that God produces in our life as we submit ourselves to him. So fruit of the Spirit. Let me kind of go on to say this, verse 16. I just want us to, to see what it says in verse 16. It says to walk, uh, by this I say, walk in the, by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in other words, if you find yourself going, man, I spend too much time like living for myself and gratifying my flesh and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to gratify my flesh. Here's what to do. Don't focus on not gratifying the flesh. In other words, here's, here's typically what we do. We, we list out this, this whole list of vices or things in our life where we're like, mm, I got to get rid of this. I need to eliminate this. I need to work on this. And, and what Paul says is don't focus on not gratifying the flesh. Focus on walking in the spirit. Because as you walk in the spirit, the spirit, man, he's going to squash that other stuff out. He's going to crucify that stuff. He's going to starve that stuff in your life. Focus on walking in the spirit, allowing him to have control of you. All that other stuff will take care of itself. Here's another quote from, from C.I. Schofield. He says this, the problem of the Christian life is based on the fact that so long as the Christian lives in this world, he is, so to speak, two trees, the old tree of the flesh and the new tree of the divine nature implanted by the new birth. And the problem itself is how to keep barren the old tree and to make fruitful the new tree. The problem is solved by walking in the spirit. And so how do we walk in victory? We've got to be aware of this, this war within and in light of that, to be controlled by the spirit of God. And so let me give you a bottom line this morning. It's, it's not incredibly profound, but if we could get this and live by this, it would be incredibly powerful in our life. The way to victory is to walk in the Spirit. The way to victory is to walk in the Spirit, to grow in this ability, ability to be under His control, to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. So there's, I want to share with you, you've probably heard, many of you have heard this, there's this old Native American parable, or, you know, maybe someone called it a legend of the two wolves. Uh, if you recognize this, I'm going to just read it to you. Uh, an old Cherokee man is teaching his grandson about life. He says to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. And so the grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, and you know, y'all know the answer? 
the one you feed. The one you feed. Which one is going to win? The one you feed. Now, I know that this, this kind of parable is, is used in a lot of ways to talk about the, the power of uh, positive thinking or a positive mindset or mindfulness or negative thoughts versus you know, positive affirming thoughts. But what, what I think that kind of captures, it, it, it's a way of trying to put into words a spiritual reality that every one of us as followers of Jesus experience, that there is this war going on within us between the spirit of God and our flesh. And, and how does this correlate to us? It's, it's this, don't feed our fleshly desires. Don't feed those things, but feed on eternal things that nourish our soul. So we can't produce the fruit of the spirit, but we can like real fruit in, in life, we can, we can cultivate its growth. So when you think about fruit growing from a tree, you, you create conditions that are conducive to growth. And, and so we can do that in our life. And so let me give you, a, let me end on two things here, just two really practical things when it comes to feeding, not feeding our flesh and yet feeding on things that nourish our soul. So here's the first thing is this, identify and remove things that feed your flesh. Identify and remove things that feed your flesh. This is kind of like pruning. All right, like you would do with, with fruit. Um, so if, if you're not experiencing victory, if you're experiencing a lot of defeat in your life, it may very well be because you are allowing your, your flesh to be fed too much. So look at your life and, and, and figure out, okay, what, how am I feeding my flesh? And then prune that out. So let me give you some, some examples, all right? For some of you, and it's gonna be different for every single person. Maybe for you, it's eliminating uh, social media or an app that you use on your phone. Okay, I've had to do that this week. I'm just going, this is not, this, this is not feed my spirit. This hinders, I feed into the, the junk. So I need to eliminate this. So maybe that's for you. Maybe you need to utilize screen time or um, internet filters. All right, I've heard somebody make the argument that, well, if your heart is right, you don't need you know, these things to block you know, what's on the internet. And I'm like, you fool. No, you need wisdom. You need the wisdom of God. The, the Bible uses the word flee, get away from, put up boundaries. So you know, if, uh, if you need to utilize screen time, internet filters, uh, and maybe, here's, maybe this would speak to some of you. If sinful things happen in your life, if you give in to your flesh more late at night, Start going to bed earlier. Put some boundaries in your life. Like prune out those things. If you can't stop eating sugar, stop buying ice cream, y'all. Stop putting it in your fridge, okay? Now, I'm talking about a physical, like feeding your flesh literally there, but the principle applies. Like starve that stuff. Starve your flesh. Prune it out. Don't feed into it. So identify, remove things. And here's second and most important is this. Feed your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Feed your hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is why for 40 stinking weeks, I invite you every week, join us in our reading plan. Start opening your Bible with us. Feed on the word of God. I, I missed a, a verse earlier, John 15, 5, that says to abide in, in him and he in us because there it is, bam. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus goes on to say like this abiding in me has to do with abiding in my word. 
So feed on, abide in, hang out, dwell in his word, memorize his word, listen to his word. There's apps, um, one called Dwell, where you can actually listen to the Bible being read to you. Um, Gospel-centered content. Uh, Let me say this, because I I had a little conversation with our women's group this past Monday, just giving some uh, helpful thoughts on consuming Christian content, because even stuff that is labeled Christian doesn't mean it's always good or healthy. Uh, And so let me just give you some resources that I uh, draw a lot from to feed uh, my soul. Um, These are just resources, and I would include uh, all of these resources as their um, blogs and books and podcasts, social media, uh, emails, everything that these things offer. I'm not saying it's all perfect, but it will feed your soul. Crossway Books, uh, The Gospel Coalition, The Good Book Company, Paul David Tripp, those are all gospel-centered uh, resources that I use to feed my soul. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're looking for something to consume, consume things, resources that are centered around the gospel that point you to Jesus. Feed on those things. Feed that wolf. Actually, it's the lion within you, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Feed the Holy Spirit and allow him to produce fruit in your life. So, Again, here's the big idea. The way to victory is to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit.